What does a human trafficker look like? We might picture wealthy men whose greed has absolutely destroyed whatever decency they might have had at one time. But in reality, that person may look a lot like someone you already know. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. I'm so glad you've joined me for another captivating true crime investigation where physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways are waiting for us. If you're listening to me, I believe that you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI, not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact. This is season five, episode one, and this week we're going to look at stories from the book In Our Backyard, Human Trafficking in America and What We Can Do to Stop It by Nita Bellis. Nita began studying human trafficking while she was working on her master's degree, and she hasn't stopped since. In her book, she shares countless stories of this evil and how we might bring some light into this very dark and often very misunderstood evil. Close your eyes for a minute and draw a picture in your mind of what you think a human trafficker might look like. I'll bet you saw a man dressed in dark clothes, very menacing looking. What if I told you that the trafficker in this first case I want to share with you was a confident and fashionable teenage girl? We'll call her Maggie. Confidence oozed from Maggie's every move. And that flattered a young girl that we'll call Sarah. Sarah had a nice home life, but she didn't always like her parents' rules, like most 16-year-olds. Maggie claimed she didn't have any rules, and that sounded so nice to Sarah. Before long, the girls were friends, and Maggie told Sarah she had a job to offer her. Sarah could make easy money for new clothes and gas for her car, and all she had to do was go on a date and be nice to a lonely guy. Sarah had no idea that Maggie was actually recruiting her to work for Maggie's pimp. Sarah kept going on these dates and was soon having real dates with a man that she thought was her first real boyfriend and, of course, her true love. She had always thought that sex outside of marriage was wrong, but this just seemed different because she knew that they would be together forever. When he asked her to move to Las Vegas with him, she didn't hesitate. She might have if she'd known that once they were away from her family, he would turn her out to make money for them. Well, for him, really. Soon Sarah realized that she was now a prostitute, and it had all happened in the space of three months since she'd first met Maggie at school. In time, police raided the brothel where Sarah had been dumped by her so-called boyfriend. She was relieved, but so embarrassed to face her parents. They were just so glad that she was now safe. Not all trafficking stories end this well, and there are so many stories. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children estimated that well over 100,000 children are trafficked every single year just in the United States. Stop and let that sink in. Human trafficking is big business whether it's sex trafficking or labor trafficking. And it's just going to keep on growing until we learn to recognize it and do what we can to disrupt the way traffickers do business. I want to share a story of labor trafficking that actually disguised itself as a ministry. Yeah, you heard me right. It's so disturbing, but we can fight it if we learn how it works. A man named Keith Grimes recruited boys from the poor African nation of Zambia to come to America so they could have shelter, nutritious food, and an education. What destitute parent wouldn't want that for their child? He created a boys' choir 
and said that the money the choir received from the concerts they were going to be performing would not only care for the boys, but would also help to build schools back in Zambia. He did not tell these parents that their boys would perform up to eight concerts a day, that they would be punished if they complained about their lack of food, or the fact that they weren't getting the schooling that they had been promised. How many kind-hearted people do you think gave money to this choir, or others like it, not bothering to check to see if the things this so-called ministry promised were actually happening? That is an easy area where any of us can become more active. Before you support any ministry, do your research so you don't unknowingly support what is, in reality, modern-day slavery. A lot of us like to buy products that are labeled made in the USA. Did you know, though, that clothes made in American Samoa can carry that label, even though it's a territory and not a state, and the people who live there aren't U.S. citizens? It's also a hotspot for forced labor, supplied mostly by foreign women who've been tricked into moving there because they were promised high-paying jobs. In one of these sweatshops, workers were fed little more than rice, potatoes, and cabbage. They slept in crowded bunkhouses with only half-inch thick mattresses and broken toilets. The workers were often beaten, and they had their passports taken away from them. A group of these workers finally broke free when one of them dropped an SOS note out of a car, and that note was found and given to the U.S. Department of Labor. Now, I love a good bargain as much as the next person, but I know I need to start asking myself, what price has someone else paid to make these goods cheap for me? So if we'll all start looking for products that are labeled fair trade, that is a great place to start. Another easy way to help is to do what the author of this book does when she travels. If given the chance, she makes small talk with housekeepers to see if they're treated well. And if she can, she asks them if they work directly with the hotel or were brought to the U.S. by an agency. If more of us would do that, lives can be saved. And I am not exaggerating there. Author Nina Bellis calls pornography the gateway drug for purchasing a person who has been sex trafficked. And I know that not everybody who consumes porn will go on to take that next step. But being numbed to a victim's personhood certainly makes it less of a leap into that deeper pit of evil. So brace yourself. I've got a very shocking statistic from the book. And it says that the average age that a child, a child, first encounters porn is 11 years old. That's not really so far-fetched as you might think it sounds. Without proper filters on our electronic devices, porn can just pop up without warning. If we don't know the families of our children's friends, they could find a hidden stash of magazines or videos. Someone may even be sharing porn with them online, whether that's in chat room, with a video game online forum. Consumption of these materials fuels abuse of the stars of the industry. Porn agencies are known to use deceptive tactics, like using good-looking young men to recruit college and high school-age students for what they will tell them are modeling jobs. Would-be victims are promised that the agencies will pay all of the models' expenses, but then they turn around and demand to be reimbursed. When girls or even guys can't pay, they're encouraged to participate in well-paying hardcore porn or to be a hostess at a private party that will eventually lead to acts of prostitution. 
Are any of us willing to talk to our children about this uncomfortable topic so that they know these dangers? Sex trafficking has one major advantage over other criminal enterprises, like selling illegal drugs or guns. From a purely business point of view, the same person that's being trafficked can be sold over and over and over again. I was a young teenager in the 80s, and I bet a lot of you were too. Some call it the decade of greed, but I think maybe a better nickname was the decade of excess. Those of us who were latchkey kids could not get enough of our MTV. We couldn't wear enough bangles like Madonna wore. And we learned that crack was taking over the drug scene. A 13-year-old girl that we'll call Tiffany was born to an 80s mom who was given to a lot of excesses. Tiffany and her brother were bounced from relative to relative while their mother tried to pull herself together. When her children were finally returned to her, she was living in a hotel in San Francisco's notorious Tenderloin District. It was a neighborhood known not only for crime, deplorable living conditions, homelessness, illegal drugs, prostitution, and strip clubs, but just a general anything-goes atmosphere. It just doesn't seem the best environment to be raising children. Nothing was considered out of bounds in the Tenderloin District. Even turning out 12 to 14-year-olds for commercial sex work. At the age of 13, the not-quite-five-foot-tall Tiffany began bringing home $100 bills. Her mother worked at a pizza place to try to support her kids and could easily imagine how Tiffany was getting her money. So her mother moved her family away. But when Children's Services found out, they were miffed that the new place that Tiffany was living was outside of the county. So they came and took Tiffany away and put her in a foster home that was just 15 minutes away from the man who was pimping her out. Even once she was eventually rescued by authorities, Tiffany went back to the streets, like most child prostitutes do. It's so hard to fathom the role that trauma plays into this pattern of being rescued and returning. But we have to understand, Tiffany's pimp had let her know that she was his, and she couldn't survive without him. And it also doesn't help when the Johns that solicit these baby prostitutes are given misdemeanor charges instead of being charged with the rape of a child. What does that teach these young girls? I think it teaches them that society looks at them as throwaways, people with no value. That life eventually caught up with Tiffany. Her nude body was found in a lake after she'd been trafficked for three years. Please do not hear Tiffany's story and think that youngsters are only trafficked out of bad neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, families that have drug problems. These days, one of the most likely places that a child will be lured into a trafficking situation is on the internet. Do you know who your loved ones are talking to online? Whether it's on social media, in a chat room, or maybe an online gaming forum. We think we know the type of person who would stoop so low as to buy sexual services, especially from a child. We think that they walk all hunched over and they leave this trail of slime behind them. But if you look at actual arrest records, you'll see that these people are doctors, lawyers, police officers, plumbers, sports heroes, businessmen, and even pastors. One survey of arrestees showed that their median age is 37, nearly half are married, most had full-time jobs, and for many, this arrest was not their first offense. The one thing that each of them has in common 
is that they're a predator. Even if they seem to be an otherwise upstanding person, there is no excuse, no excuse for the devastation they are calling down on our communities. And they care nothing about that. If your son or daughter or grandchild were being exploited, wouldn't you move heaven and earth to stop it? The victims whose stories I shared today with you and thousands of others like them are somebody's son or daughter or grandchild. I hope that you'll get yourself a copy of this book and read it and learn more from all the other stories that I didn't have time to share and learn more ways that you can step in and help. The Bible verse I chose for this week's episode is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and I'm reading from the NIRV. Two people are better than one. They can help each other in everything they do. Suppose either of them falls down. Then the one can help the other one up. But suppose a person falls down and doesn't have anyone to help them up. Then feel sorry for that person. Or suppose two people lie down together. Then they'll keep warm. But how can one person keep warm alone? One person could be overpowered, but two people can stand up for themselves. And a rope made out of three cords isn't easily broken. We've all seen those videos online or Animal Planet where a predator approaches a herd of some sweet, innocent animal. It's so stressful to wonder which of those animals is being targeted. And then you see it. It's the one off to the side all by itself. If one of the other members of the herd doesn't try to help it, that animal's chances of survival are very slim. Are we really so different? When we look out for each other, when we work together, and when we care for each other, life goes so much better for us. Predators, of course, don't like that. They prefer to isolate us, or better yet, for us to isolate each other. So let's make 2024 the year we work together for our good, for the good of our families, and for the good of our communities. If you've been putting off getting involved in serving people who have been impacted by crime, remember that two are better than one. Convince a friend to join you so that you each feel safe and confident in your new avenue of serving God by serving others. Together, we can and we should be making a difference. Let me know what you think about this episode. Send me an email at lori at theunlovelytruth.com. I love it when people are willing to share and have those hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. <laughs>